Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. In my career, both when I was at Lucasfilm, when I was at uh, DreamWorks Interactive, I got to work with Steven Spielberg. Mm. And he is just a... Welcome to Game Dev Advice, the game developers podcast. Your place for resources and in-depth conversations with other game development professionals. I'm your host, John J.P. Podlasic. I've worked at 10 different game companies, starting back in 1989 with the TurboGrafx-16. Over the decades, I've developed games like Mortal Kombat, Avengers Initiative, Beavis and Butthead, and numerous others. I now work for a startup called Level X. But this podcast isn't about me. It's about you and the game development community. So if you have questions or ideas, give a call, 224-484-7733, or go to the gamedevadvice.com website. So let's kick things off with the new Game Dev Advice. Episode 53 is a special one. The legendary game designer Noah Falstein. His career began working on games like Joust and Sinistar at WMS, and then was one of the first 10 employees at Lucasfilm Games slash LucasArts, where he led projects including Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, PHM Pegasus, co-designed Indiana Jones and the Fate of Atlantis, plus worked on many others. After serving as Google's chief game designer, he began focusing primarily on games for healthcare, working with companies like Achille Interactive Labs, Hope Lab, and Level X. I think you'll really enjoy this one. He's got some awesome stories and advice. Hey Noah, so uh, where are you calling in from tonight? I am in San Rafael, California, just uh, over the Golden Gate Bridge from San Francisco. Ah, beautiful part of the country. Kind of tell me about what your uh, current role is right now. Well, I have been a freelancer for, um, I guess, the majority of my career now. And, and for the last five years, I, I, I took mm-hmm. a, a stint full time at Google. Um, but for the last five years, I've been back on my own. And uh, these days, I'm focusing on combination of uh, being an advisor and being primarily a game design consultant for whole bunch of companies in the games and health overlap. Uh, I think it's actually, I actually just signed a contract yesterday. So I don't know, it's about 11 or 12 companies that I'm working with. Wow. You know, many, many of them just, you know, I'm an advisor and maybe once a month we have a, a call with the CEO, but mm-hmm. uh, others are very busy and I'm you know actually trying to scramble right now because uh, Thanksgiving's coming up in 10 days and I've got a lot to do before then. Right. Yeah. In full disclosure, you've done work with Level X before, which has been great and it's been awesome to, to work with you. So yeah, no, that's cool. Indeed. So take me back. I'm a fan of some of the games you worked on and kind of tell me how you got started in the game industry. I got started so far back that it wasn't even really an industry at the time. <laughs> so in college in the late 1970s, I started focusing on video games, not because it was a job opportunity. It never mm-hmm. even occurred to me that I could get a job, right. but I was studying uh, programming and physics and astronomy. And I got hooked on uh, big mainframe computer games. You know, it was pretty much all we had uh, in the, the mid seventies Yeah, and thought this is really fun. I should do something like this to show off the um, uh, knowledge I'm, I'm acquiring. And my college uh, was very open-minded about letting people design their own curriculum. Cool. And so I did a big video game about mining the asteroid belt and mm-hmm. all the asteroids were in the right place. And I worked out a little science fictional, but very uh, plausible space exploration thing, you know, with, with yeah. orbital mechanics. Cool. And that ended up, to my surprise, uh, one of my professors had been working at Milton Bradley, the the company that was better ah. known for puzzles and, and crossword puzzle, uh, jigsaw puzzles and, yeah. and board games. And they were just getting into electronic games and hiring and uh, mm-hmm. straight out of college. In fact, like four days after I graduated, I started work there. Wow. So that was how it all worked out. And back in those days, everybody was a programmer. So I was basically <laughs> coding and 
Um, it wasn't until two and a half years into my career that I actually met the first person who was a full-time game designer, and uh, that was wow. a, a big revelation for me. Mm-hmm. And you were at uh, Williams uh, Valley Midway and stuff like that too, right? Right, right. Well, it was actually just Williams then uh, before right. they were acquired by, by Midway, mm-hmm. uh, working on on arcade games. That was uh, I, I spent a couple of years at Milton Bradley, but uh, they had done that Simon game, which ironically is still hmm. selling. Wow, uh, yeah, uh, that, you know, it was, that was everywhere. I, I remember that. Thing. Oh, yeah. oh God, yeah. Well, in fact, in in the Silicon Valley TV series, they featured it. And I just <laughs> I, I cheered when I saw it come on the screen. Right. I just couldn't believe that that game is uh, still <laughs> updated and being sold. Yeah. No, um, I, right. But, and you worked on Sinistar and stuff like that, right? Yeah, I worked on Sinistar. I, I did a little testing on Joust when I first came in. Um, ah, Jarvis. I worked on a, right. <laughs> well, it was actually, no, that was uh, Robotron and, and Stargate was uh, Eugene Jarvis. But okay. that was uh, John Newcomer was the, the and Bill Footson writer were behind Joust. Okay. Um, anyway, yeah, it's a, a lot to keep track of. But I spent <laughs> a couple of years doing that and then got caught in the the big uh, layoff when um, the arcade industry basically imploded, you know, basically mm. lost about 90% of its uh, business over the course of just a year yeah. uh, around 1983. And uh, it was serendipity for me because I knew that uh, Lucasfilm was starting to make video games then. They hadn't announced it, but I'd heard mm-hmm. about it. And I was able to get a job there in early 84 as uh, wow. employee number seven or eight, depending on how you counted it. Mm-hmm. And that was really the opportunity that kind of crystallized my career, and and I got to work on a bunch of great games and yeah. work with and hire a bunch of people who've gone on to become real legendary in the industry. So yeah. it was just amazing. No, that's that's fantastic. And the old point and click adventure games, you know, Sam and Max, and even you know the stuff before that with that engine they had. That was yeah, the Scum was, engine. Yeah, yeah I worked yeah. on. Um, Two Indiana Jones games, I, I'm probably best known for Indiana Jones and the Fate of Atlantis that I, I co-designed. Mm-hmm. But I also worked on their World War II flight sims and mm-hmm. um, contributed to the sec- first two Secret of Monkey Island games. Oh, yeah, those are A bunch classics. of other stuff while I was there. Yeah, back in the day, man, you know, for PC gaming, that, that was the pinnacle. So thinking back, mm-hmm. what do you wish you had known when you had started, factoring in these are very different times. Like, what do you think? Yeah, well, I mean, it's a funny thing. I don't feel like there was anything that somebody should have told me because part of what was fun about it was that nobody really knew what they were doing. We were all mm-hmm. kind of improvising as we went along, <laughs> yeah. particularly in the, those very early 80s. It was uh, still, you know, a lot of the industry was people working at home and typing stuff up and sending in the text of the, the uh, assembly language code to uh, magazines so that people could type it into their computers. It was just very primitive. Um, But, uh, you know, if today I could, you know, go back and and talk to the me then, um, I think I would have just encouraged me to be a little bolder about it. That A lot of people when I was starting out were Mm -hmm. telling me they didn't think that the games um, thing was a a real industry. There was just a fad that would blow Uh, over. Pet rock, right? It's going to burn out. (laughs) Exactly. And I didn't, you know, I I thought, well, maybe they're right. I might as well enjoy it while it's here. But Mm -hmm. if I had had a little more confidence that it was going to be long-term, then I think I might have planned things a little differently. Mm -hmm. Probably would have moved to California a little earlier than I did because, uh, you know, particularly in the 80s, uh, California was where most of the interesting stuff was happening. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And there's still obviously a huge, huge base in California for the game industry. Um, Like if you, you know, think fast forward, like 2022 here, like what kind of advice Mm -hmm. would you give someone looking to get their first job? Well, you know, uh, today uh, things are so different. It it really depends a lot on the individual that the games industry is so varied and there's so many uh, interesting and unusual types of things you can do. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm continually impressed when I see some of the titles that people are looking for of somebody who is a um, you know group psychologist or something to work <laughs> out a, a dynamic for an online uh, multiplayer game or wow. um, you know people who are doing physics or simulating water and that's all that they're being hired for mm-hmm. um, so really I think the trick is for people to um, I mean I guess the one thing I say the one essential uh, most useful trait to have is not talent or creativity. Uh, it's just persistence. Uh, I know hmm. lots of people 
who I think are really good, who never really went anywhere because they would put in their you know resumes to one or two places and get rejected and say, well, screw it, this just isn't going to work. Mm. And others who are kind of mediocre, but just kept trying and trying and trying yeah. and got their foothold and kept learning you know, on the job and ended up having a really good career. So mm-hmm. um, it's not very glamorous, but just sticking with it uh, really counts for a lot in the industry. Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah, because I thinking back when I was on the hotline phone in 1989, there was, I don't know, 40, 60 people. And, you know, who's left? There's, I can count on one hand, maybe, you know, so it's like, yeah, it's about persistence and uh, working hard and then finding opportunities and keep going and not just giving up. So yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. What about advice for someone in the game design field like yourself, such you know, illustrious career, like wanting to advance their career in game design? You know, uh, that's also an area that has so many nuances now. Mm, right. Uh, a lot of it, I think, is, um, you know, I think a lot of people simply enjoy playing games and they want to make games just like the favorite game that they play. Mm-hmm. And that often leads them into AAA game development. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, AAA games these days, you know, you've got uh, hundreds of people on the team. It can take three years, you know, or longer sometimes to get the games out. Right. And designers end up, you know, even having a role where you are a designer you're likely to be one of, you know, 20 people and you're working on some, you know, designing uh, combat for a given um, uh, type of character or something, mm-hmm. or you're uh, focusing on on one small niche. So if you really have a sense of what your true calling is and what you absolutely love to do, mm-hmm. I think that's not a bad way to go. But I would urge people, even if they love AAA big games, to try starting on something smaller. For one thing, there are more entry-level opportunities, I think, if you're starting with a small company that is really eager to get uh, make yeah. a name for themselves. Mm-hmm. And I've worked for, for big companies. You know, Google had about 100,000 employees while I was there. Wow. And I've worked for a lot of startups where I've been among the first 10 people. Mm-hmm. And the latter, particularly early in my career, was a lot more fun. You know, There, there were advantages right. to working for Google, but I'm really glad that I would had already been in the industry for um, oh about 30 years or so uh, by the time I, I started with them, because having that experience uh, going in made it a lot better. And if I had had to kind of work my way up in a company like Google, mm-hmm. I, I just saw a lot of people burn out. Uh, you know, as they're well known, they've, yeah. they've tried a lot of different things with games, but you know, most recently with Stadia, there's Stadia, a lot of people right. that came in there and worked for a year or two, and then suddenly. Uh, their whole division was was uh, shut down. Right. So yeah. you know, starting with a small company where you really have a a voice is something I think that works for a lot of people, and uh, particularly on design because it just gives you a chance to not only learn game design but all the different roles that are go into development. And I think that's critical to being a good designer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and design is also very specialized, right? There, there's so many, you know, combat or system or you know, all kinds of different things going on, narrative. So figuring out where you want to go. Plus, you know, AAA the competition is so so fierce that um, people are constantly fighting for yeah, those it's, roles. It's also know? just a lot more fun, I think, to have a small group of people that you you know rather than to be you know, you know employee number seventy three on a, a three hundred person team. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Besides, you know, persistence, what do you feel is the most important quality or skill for other game developers to have? Uh, to be more specific about game design, because it's, it's certainly what I know best, mm-hmm. I think um, there, there are very strong um, personality types in the games industry. And I find that game designers tend to have a few qualities in common. And mm-hmm. it's sort of a, a chicken and egg situation. But if yeah. if this describes you, you're probably a good game designer. I, I would say okay. game designers tend to be um, really interested in how things work uh, and pretty much how everything works, you know, sort of what are the rules behind life, behind the universe. Yeah. Uh, because as a designer, you end up creating rules, you know, in the, the little world you have, even whether it's as simple as a casual game or as elaborate as a big MMO. Mm-hmm. Another quality is people are often balanced between being introverted and extroverted Mm -hmm. and that you need to be able to go off into a room and think for yourself and come up with really useful solutions to complex problems that may take a lot of quiet thought. But then you need to be able to 
share those ideas and sometimes convince people that it's the right way to go or uh, learn and negotiate with them. So having a mix of those qualities, Mm -hmm. although I'd say most game designers I know tend to be a little more introvert than extrovert, but uh, there is a lot of variation there. Mm -hmm. And I guess finally, something I I see with a lot of game designers in general is that uh, we all tend to have at least two or three areas, sometimes a dozen areas where you're an expert in some often nerdy, but really detailed thing, you know, and it could be as nerdy as just not just being a, a Lord of the Rings fan, but, you know, having read the whole Summerillion and, you know, being a Stephen Colbert level uh, uh, Lord <laughs> of the Rings geek. Right. Um, or it can be as mainstream as just being heavily into uh classic rock and knowing every single album that's ever been made and the covers on the you know uh old vinyl and that sort of thing right um and and everything in between uh mm-hmm. when i when i give lectures i say uh, sometimes game designers are equally knowledgeable about homer's uh odyssey and homer simpson <laughs> right two extremes yeah yeah that quest for knowledge and having that the breadth and having that passion for learning and knowing about different stuff you know because that bleeds into game design sometimes too. So yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, everything I've ever done in my life that I really have loved and gotten really deeply into, I've been able to integrate into at least one of the games I've worked on uh, to mm. some degree. You, you have an example of that? That's kind of cool. Like, Oh, sure. Yeah. Gosh, I mean, that's the thing. It's, it's happened I love motorcycles, so I worked on Full, full Throttle with Ed Lucas, right? Or something like that. I, you know, well, right? I mean, so I did some fencing in college. I'm, I'm not an athlete by any means, but I really got interested in, in fencing. Mm-hmm. And when I was working on the Monkey Island games, I, I was only a minor uh, contributor. But when it came time to work out a sword fighting uh, idea, mm-hmm. I actually contributed the the spark of the idea that became Insult Sword Fighting in, in that series of games. Okay, I'm very proud of that. Yeah. And it wasn't that I, you know, used everything. And first, I was looking at at making a real um, action based sword fighting game, but mm-hmm. in the humor of Monkey Island, that just didn't feel quite right. And yeah. it's a long story, but there are other reasons why I didn't want to do that. Another thing is I've always been interested in space travel and rockets, and I ended up getting to work uh, about 20 years ago on a simulation of the International Space Station, mm. and we got to go down to Houston and meet with the you know some astronauts and oh, a lot wow. of engineers and yeah. stand inside the full-scale mock-up of the space station they have there that they used to train the astronauts. So, wow. you know, just that's the thing. I mean, if you're really into it, this is an industry where you're, every fantasy you have can start coming true. Those are all fantastic. Fantastic. Yeah, that's very cool. So, what's your advice for uh, you know developing you know interpersonal skills, EQ, core skills, as they say? That's a tough one to be generic about that because I think it's individual for for everybody. Mm-hmm. In that, I, you know, as I say, a lot of game designers are introverts, and they they may. Um, I, I've worked with a whole gamut of you know people who are really oh pretty asocial to others that are really gregarious and fun to hang out with. Yeah, and I think the key might be in saying that. One of the other things that is common among most of the the game designers I know is an interest in psychology, and that kind yeah. of works in two directions. You know, you want to know what's inside the head of your players, but mm-hmm. you also want to be familiar with your own psychology. I mean, something that did not come naturally to me was working with people to, if I had an idea that I really liked, mm-hmm. I just thought it was obvious to everybody that this was mm-hmm. the best way to go, right. and often... They have their own ideas that they thought were even better. And Mm -hmm. learning how to be open to that, to listen to other people, to negotiate, that was a a, a tough curve for me at first. And uh, reading about psychology, I took some psychology courses in college. Mm -hmm. That was definitely helpful because it helped me realize not only what other people were thinking, but also some of the things I was doing that, you know, had gotten me in trouble sometimes because I just wasn't listening that carefully to other people. Because mm-hmm. in your mind, like, well, it's plain as day. Why can't you see it? This is the most obvious thing <laughs> to do, right? And I've been in those meetings before, and it's like, maybe not, right? And, and then people that can't adapt to that, then, yeah, they struggle more. So, yeah, that's that's a great idea about psychology and it, stuff. It also helps, I mean, on a practical level, as something everyone can do is that, you know, particularly if you're working in a, a company, um, I mean, particularly these days, we were, we were talking before uh, the interview started about 
how distributed everything is post COVID and how mm. many people are working from home. Yeah. And you you lose a little intimacy, actually a lot of intimacy when it's all, you know, Zoom, Zoom calls to, right. to people. But when you're in an office with other people, there'll always be some people who are really good at uh, those soft skills and the socializing mm -hmm. and simply observing them and maybe even talking to them and asking them how they do what they do. That's been useful to me as well. Mm -hmm. um, my best boss, maybe in my career, but uh, certainly among oh six or seven that we had at Lucasfilm yeah. while I was there was a guy named Steve Arnold. He was trained as a child psychologist, you know, basically mm. PhD in psychology and practicing psychologist before he got hired by Atari and ended up, uh, you know, getting into the games industry for a while. Yeah. And his understanding of psychology and, and child psychology in particular, I think was probably the best training for a manager <laughs> of a games group I can imagine. Right. And uh, I learned a lot just from, you know, experience of seeing how he would handle things. And he was mm -hmm. amazing and to this day. I mean, we've stayed friends and I've, I've done some work with him as recently as a, a couple of months ago. Cool. Uh, he's really good at knowing what what will work for somebody and, you know, what their their dreams are and helping them realize those dreams, mm -hmm. but also doing so in a way that helps him with whatever work he needs to get done. And, and not in a way of manipulating people so much yeah. as figuring out how to make you happy at what you do rather than, you know, pushing you into something that you don't want to do. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's a real art. Uh, I have never, you know, run a studio and I, I don't intend to because I just know it's not my <laughs> forte. Yeah. But to the extent that I work with other people, I learned a lot from him that way. No, that's interesting. And um, so what are you curious about right now in the in the industry well um there's a lot going on it's 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 a really interesting time mm -hmm. um i would say well certainly i'm working with this mix of games and health and you know i know you're quite familiar with that yes, too of course right. yes um but in particular uh digital therapeutics and and using games to actually treat diseases and disorders yeah i, I just see that growing immensely and it really, you know, hits a, a lot of my buttons that, you know, mm -hmm. talking about psychology, understanding how a game can help with somebody with ADHD or depression yep. or trauma. Um, I mean, the list is is almost endless. And um, like one company I'm working with right now, a, a German company, is doing a game to treat myopia, uh, nearsightedness. And they have a very simple VR mm. headset game that controls everything in your field of view. And by shining a, a specific frequency of blue light on your blind spot, it uh, and this only works with, with kids, unfortunately. Uh, you need to catch somebody in the sort of 6 to 12-year-old age range. Wow. Uh, this, this promotes uh, dopamine production in your eye, mm -hmm. which in turn causes your eye to be able to uh, be more flexible and change its shape while you're growing so that instead of being out of focus, you can actually learn to focus on things. And, and hmm. you know, and it's, it's still in early stages. They've done some testing that is very encouraging, but they are scaling up and doing more. Mm -hmm. um, and I, it's just one of those things when I first heard it, it would, it seemed almost too good to be true that just by playing a game, you could improve your eyesight. And yeah. Of course, in fact, a lot of people assume the opposite is true. Right. You ruin um, your eyes. So close exactly. to the TV, you know, all that kind of stuff they used to say. But, you know, it's just one example among many. And uh, you know, I find that exciting. And, and I guess hand in hand with that, I, they use a VR headset because it's necessary to essentially take over somebody's entire field of view with their treatment. Mm -hmm. But I think uh, AR, you know, I can't wait to see what Apple's been working on. I know. Yeah. Uh, because I, I think that 2023, uh, right? That's what they're saying. It's well, on. hopefully it's not. I mean, they've been predicting for quite a while, but mm -hmm. it does sound like it's really about to happen. Yeah. And uh, I am a real believer that that may be something that probably won't replace cell phones, but it mm -hmm. may end up becoming um, the the go-to uh, peripheral that everybody has to have. And yeah. uh, the, the time I was at Google, I spent a year testing Google Glass. And despite all ah. the bad press it got in, in the media, mm -hmm. um, I really loved it. And most of the people I know who tried it, uh, enjoyed it, you know, the ones at, at Google, certainly. Mm -hmm. And uh, in in a year of interacting with the public, you know, wearing that, I had hundreds of, of encounters with people, and only two of them 
were negative and and both of those people were quite reasonable about it and just oh. you know one guy was concerned about privacy the other yeah. um just thought that it was a, a stupid thing that looked crazy and why would anybody <laughs> put that on their head why the hell did um, you put that on your head oh, yeah, one of those it, guys. it was pretty yeah. much that sort of thing yeah <laughs> Yeah, and you talked about therapeutics and stuff. I've I've seen Deep Well, right? They're in that space yeah. with Mike Wilson, who I met uh, decades ago at GDC, and uh, it's kind of cool to see what they're up to. And then the company with ADHD FDA approval, Achilles. Yeah, it's, yeah. I'm, I'm always, yeah, I always stump on the name there, right? Yeah, Achilles Interactive, right? They they have that game. Yeah, out, so. well, so and I worked with them back, got almost 14 years ago now, when they were just wow. starting out. In fact, before it was a company, when it was uh, the first experiment that that uh, Adam Ghazali, the the UCSF uh, doctor and researcher who who really did the um, groundbreaking work that that made mm-hmm. it all possible. Um, I worked with him on the prototype that uh, cool. there was a group of us mostly ex LucasArts that you know much like <laughs> with Level X with uh, Achille with several other companies in health it seems that having been at LucasArts was a, a benefit yeah no, um, that's cool but yeah they you know they went public two months ago they've you know oh, had wow. clearance from that. the FDA and mm-hmm. uh, you know doctors they've had I think 900 doctors have prescribed this game to treat ADHD and hmm. they want to increase that significantly over the next year or two with the money they got going public yeah no that's exciting and just to flip it you know on the other side like what potential threats or concerns do you see uh, with the industry? Hey, hope you're enjoying the show. If you are, please go to patreon.com backslash game dev advice. We'd love to see if you can support the show and help uh, new episodes keep coming out. That's patreon.com backslash game dev advice. Thanks. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Well, um, I mean, I think the health of the industry is quite good, but you know, with all the talk of of layoffs, you know, particularly yeah. at, at companies like Meta, you know, that mm-hmm. and that's not precisely game industry, but uh, you know, certainly ever since I've been in the games industry, there have been booms and busts, mm-hmm. and sometimes bad years and good years, but often it doesn't matter. In a bad year, you still have some companies that are hiring. In a good year, you still have some that are going out of business. And the main thing is the trajectory has just been up and up. And a lot of people say, oh, well, you know, now almost everybody in the world who can is playing games. And particularly with uh, phones, it's become a platform that even people in uh, New Guinea or, or parts of Africa where there are villages that have no electricity. Mm-hmm. There's a, a truck that comes around once a week to recharge everybody's cell phones because <laughs> cell phones are the one thing they have to have. Yeah. And uh, cool. that means you can play games pretty much anywhere in the world. And mm-hmm. you know, with better, with Starlink and other stuff going up, it's going to be easy to be right. online from you know, even the most re- remote places. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I really think that that growth is going to continue, you know, particularly keeps diversifying and, you know, the, this health area, um, yeah. you know, the world health market is $1 trillion a year annually, uh-huh. uh, all health included. Mm-hmm. And games are certainly not going to take over a big chunk of that. But if they took over just four or five percent, right. that would be enormous. That would be, I think, about the same size as the entire mobile game market is right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's still plenty of room. You know, and that's just one area we're seeing esports continuing to just grow by leaps and bounds. Yeah. You know, there's there's all the interest in in Web three and crypto, and mm-hmm. um, I'm personally a little bit skeptical about uh, that being as hot a yeah. thing as most people think. But right. Uh, right. Uh, bottom line is, it's hard to predict what will be big uh, next. But I I think whatever the threats are, um, it's not anything that's going to be systemic. I think it's more likely yeah. to be localized where you know a given country decides that they're going to ban a certain type of video game or mm-hmm. even a certain game mechanic or you know sometimes it's even just a lockdown on people's freedom of speech because they find mm-hmm. that video games and in, in some countries have been used 
uh, you know, multiplayer games are the only way that people can actually get together and talk freely. Right. Because, uh, you know, the, the social networks are being monitored in a lot of cases. Yeah. And, yeah. And to your point, it'll never get back to the, you know, the crash where they're burying ET cartridges in the desert, right? You know, back. <laughs> you know, yeah. Kind of yeah. Stuff. And, um, well, you know, there, there, there are those individual, yeah, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if um, there are, you know, uh, well, you know, we've talked about it, things like uh, Stadia shutting down or, yeah. you know, he- headsets that, you know, they people sell a million of them and then two years later, nobody's using them anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the single most uh, popular peripheral to a game console was the uh, Wii Fit balance board. They, they sold, I think, oh, yeah. 22 million of those. And really? Well, and the thing is, almost everybody who had a Wii got one, right? And almost everybody I know who got one, it was in their closet within about a month <laughs> because it just wasn't all that interesting. Right. But their their marketing was fantastic, so they really got everybody hooked on it. Yeah, and they're flooding Goodwills now in people's closets, and uh, yeah, all, yeah. All those so kind of so not landfill, but maybe closet fill. Right. Yeah, that kind of stuff. And yeah, to your point too about like Web three and NFT and stuff. I personally have had some friends that have gone to those companies and uh you know all of a sudden just boom you know the hammer came down and people got laid off and stuff so yeah there's definitely a contraction going on in that space you know for sure even though there's some cool stuff going on it's kind of parsing out who's real and who's kind of the posers so yeah it's absolutely see how that shakes out um and you mentioned it earlier but you know what are your thoughts on ar vr xr if, if you want to dive a little deeper into that yeah well it's just the first time i saw modern vr the um uh-huh. headset i guess that um, valve was working on before uh it was even announced i uh, google was one of um i think just two locations outside of valve that set up a room that was capable of that because you needed a, a dedicated room with uh like cave, weird right? markings like, yeah, yeah all over the the walls and ceiling to to let the headset know where it was mm-hmm. and it was just a mind-blowing experience for me i mean i still have when was uh, this like like what year oh roughly? 2013 i think 2014 okay it wasn't the first vr i had seen but it was the first vr that really felt like you were in a different place it was mm. you know, vr in like 2002 was all clunky and low frame rate and, yeah. and suddenly you know what Palmer Lucky, I think, was really the the guy who kind of yeah. got this all going uh, of this modern version of it. But it VR, I think, does something to you. You know, with my interest in in neuroscience and psychology, mm-hmm. it goes to your your amygdala, the brainstem, and the the parts of your more primitive brain, and really convinces yeah. you that you are in a different space. Um, totally. You know, and it's it's both its strength and weakness, and that. Uh, it's also the reason why so many people um, can get motion sickness in VR because it just, it, you know, yeah. it just completely convinces you you're you're in a different uh, uh, environment, moving differently. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, because of that, the kinds of things that are powerful that it does, you know, certainly the kind of treatment stuff that I've talked about, but also the emotional involvement that there was a interactive story called. Uh, Pearl that actually won an Oscar for a short subject, not not as a short computer generated subject, but just a short subject as a movie. Mm-hmm. And uh, sorry, it, it was nominated for an Oscar. It didn't win, but it was the only such you know VR experience to be nominated for uh, an Oscar. Hmm. And I was moved to tears just playing the, through that interactive wow. movie. And part of it is that the whole thing takes place from the point of view of being inside a car with uh, a story playing out all around you. Mm-hmm. And you are so close, it seems psychologically, to the, the characters involved. Uh, it's basically a father-daughter uh, story hmm. that it just affected me and it surprised me. I was I was literally crying inside the VR headset, which was, was kind of messy, oh, but right. um, yeah. I was not the only one. You know, it really touches our empathy, and I, there's something very impressive and powerful about that. I mean, it also works really well on fear for the same kind mm-hmm. of reasons, and I, mm-hmm. I warn developers to kind of tone down the horror games in VR because those are some of the scariest things i've experienced and i i speaking yeah. of threats to the industry i think we we have to police ourselves and be careful not to overdo it on things like that 
Yeah. Are you familiar with uh, Skip Rizzo at USC? Oh, very much, yeah. Yeah. I, I had him on the podcast uh, a bit ago, and he was talking about treatments for vets with PTSD and, you know, other things related to fears oh, yeah. or phobias and all those kind of stuff. No, he's done great work. He also has done some really interesting work with uh, artificial therapists, uh, you know, computer-generated characters who mm -hmm. act as, as therapists. And it surprised me, but it turns out, particularly for people in the military where there's a real stigma, stigma to seeing yep. a psychologist seeing a computer psychologist and having it just be on the computer is apparently mm -hmm. a lot uh easier for a lot of um veterans to to handle yeah less of a barrier of entry with that's just oh it's a computer thing i'm not gonna there's no stigma with this i'll check it out which is that's great that you know it can work and be powerful for people and it gets more people you know talking and, and dealing with stuff so what's a funny or odd story from working in the industry i'm sure you've got yeah, well, there have been so start, many right? over the years. Um, well, I mean, it's certainly odd in that it, it's, um, you know, it was a, a really wonderful experience that, that not many people get to have. But mm -hmm. um, in my career, both when I was at Lucasfilm, when I was at uh, DreamWorks Interactive, I got to work with Steven Spielberg. Mm. And wow. he is just a hardcore game player. He's, he's just really? a, <laughs> a nerd like everybody in the games industry. Okay. And in fact, his his oldest son is a, a game developer, you know, and and uh, oh, cool. Uh, the story I think that interested me that um, when I was at Lucasfilm, I was working on a game called The Dig. That yeah, um, yeah, it was like space or something like that, or yeah, yeah, it was a, a I space that. game. Yeah, um, and it was based on idea from Stephen. Uh, he basically had this idea of a, a story. Uh, that he he pitched to us as Forbidden Planet meets Treasure of the Sierra Madre, because those are hmm. the two movies that he wanted to kind of combine and feeling. And um, I ended up getting to work with him and, and George Lucas on wow. uh, that project. So that was really wonderful. But yeah. the high point of it for me was I was really happy to be Lucasfilm. George Lucas saw, even to this day, I think, still sees the promise of technology helping filmmaking in ways way beyond you know what a lot of other people have had mm -hmm. but he's not much of a gamer and he spent very little time with us in our, our games division you know within lucasfilm yeah but steven just loved games and would hang out and see what we were up to whenever he was around at skywalker ranch mm. and i had to present to him for a meeting on the dig yeah and his plane was late and i thought it was because he was arriving late that they were going to cut our meeting short because i knew he was after we were done he was supposed to meet with a group from ilm uh -huh. who were showing him the first rushes of uh some of the jurassic park dinosaurs <laughs> oh, they were wow. working on so i thought well we're going to get totally over class there yeah right. but he just wanted to spend the full hour allotted with us and these guys had to wait in the next room and wow. you know, we're going through it and it was it was just really great gratifying hmm. and we start to pack up the computers we brought over and and bring them back to our our building yeah and he's he's saying goodbye and about to walk into the room next door where the ilm guys were set up mm -hmm. and he said yeah and i'd love to see that um I think it was uh, our finest hour battle of britain flight simulator game when when you guys are ready and so well we have it on the computer but you know we ran out of time and he said yeah wait a minute this computer here and he said, yeah. I'm taking it. And he said, could, could you set it up again? You know, I'll go in with these guys, but as soon as it's set up again, let me know. And standing behind him, I saw the a visual effects producer at ILM, uh -huh. and he he literally rolled his eyes like, oh, crap. You know, he couldn't tell Steven Spielberg, you know, look, we want to show you the damn dinosaurs right, that we right. spent all this time You got on. a schedule here you got to keep. And Steven spent another 20 minutes playing our flight simulator wow. while this other the ILM guys were stewing in the other room. <laughs> and this was after years where we were the the sort of black sheep or the kid brother of the, yeah. the Lucasfilm family where we just didn't get much respect. And mm -hmm. having, of all persons, Steven Spielberg come out there, you know, the right. only one who was really uh, a peer of George Lucas in the eyes of a lot of those guys. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. And loving our stuff enough to to keep them waiting. It was it was uh, a yeah. uh, very satisfying. Wow, thing. that's just amazing to hear that described. And and tangent like Skywalker Ranch. I, I'm sure people want to hear about that. We, you know, what is that place like for whatever you can talk about? Oh God, it's just it's a great place. I mean, it's it's. I, I was one of the first groups to work there. Uh, in mm. fact, our building. Uh, where the games group worked was it had no previous tenants. They just built it, and and <laughs> we were the first ones to move in. Yeah, he's built this whole 
huge complex in the hills in, in northern Marin. Yeah. And he created a storyboard like a movie with the story of a New England sea captain in, I think, the 1880s who hmm. uh, came out to, you know, made a fortune in Nantucket and then came out to California and, you know, built this big home. And then he had so, three or four kids and he built other mm-hmm. houses for them on the property. And then in the 1920s, they built a, a winery. And mm-hmm. in, when the um, prohibition came along, they had to shut it down, but yeah. they, they ran a sort of speakeasy and they were smuggling you know, <laughs> uh, alcohol out of there. Yeah. All these different details. And each of the buildings had bits of history in you know, the way he had made it up that was reflected in their architectural style and decoration. Huh. The, the 1920s building had an Art Nouveau kind of look because that mm-hmm. was the fashion in, in that time. Yeah. And um, it was just an amazing place. I mean, the, the story I sometimes tell people is years later in, in 2013, I, I came to work for Google and that was mm-hmm. really exciting. And they piled, uh, there were oh, 150 of us or so who were Googlers, there on a Monday, yeah. uh, brand new, you know, every, every week they would have another couple hundred people coming in, mm-hmm. uh, or maybe it was every two weeks that they did that. But um, they s- stuck a bunch of us on a bus and took us on a tour of the campus. And the guy next to me is just looking around at all these Google buildings. And right. he just turned to me and said, God, can you imagine a cooler place to work in? <laughs> and in my mind, yeah. I, I'm thinking, well, yeah, but I just said, well, it's, it's, you know, it's hard to imagine, but yeah, I, it's just pretty amazing, isn't it? And uh, Google's campus is way bigger than Skywalker Ranch, but Skywalker Ranch is like stepping into a movie set. And right. uh, yeah, it was just amazing. I, I loved the time I spent there. I've had friends that have done stuff and been on site for reading a script or working on a game or something and just heard the stories. Yeah, it just seems like a magical place. So what games are you playing now that you're excited about? Is there anything that stands out? Anything you're like, oh, I'm, I'm really into this? I have uh, had to curtail some right. of my playing for pleasure, actually, because I'm, I'm so busy making games these days. Yeah. I have been, you know, one of the clients I'm working with is doing, the games themselves are not all that revolutionary. They're taking uh, just very common off-the-shelf kind of games like match three games or, mm-hmm. um, you know, bubble-popping games. Yeah. But you control them with augmented reality. You you set the phone up on the table in front of you, mm-hmm. and you hold your hand up, and you use hand gestures to control okay. the games. And this is because they're doing therapy for people who have hand and arm injuries or have arthritis. Oh. And, uh, you know, you don't have to have a problem to play the game. And mm. when I, I tested the games, the first time I tested it, I thought, well, it's match three. You know, I played Candy Crush. I, yeah, this yeah. is much simpler. It's no big deal. Mm. And half an hour later, I'm still playing it because there's something really fun and magical about just waving your arms in, in the air and having the game respond to it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it's part of my reason that I, I was saying I really believe in augmented reality in the future, because mm-hmm. uh, being able to have cameras picking up on your motions and responding to your actual gestures, you know, it's like the movie Minority Report. Right. But in that movie, he had to put on a special glove for sensors. Mm-hmm. And it's pretty clear now that uh, cameras and infrared sensors are getting good enough that they don't need to do that at all. Mm-hmm. Um, Google even had a little, has a little uh, chip uh, that is a radar chip that is tiny and fits on a watch or on a headset. Okay. And uses radar to tell what your hands are doing. Hmm. Um, so it's yeah. it, it's not even limited by there being lights on, and it can actually literally sort of look through uh, one finger to see the next one if your hand is occluding it in some way. Mm-hmm. I've heard more about the Meta VR stuff getting better with hand gestures and hand recognition. And stuff yeah, like that. they acquired a company called uh, Control Labs some years ago that. You, they have this bracelet that uh, uses something called electromyography, and mm-hmm. it measures the uh, electrical signals in your arm and wrist as you're trying to, as you're moving your fingers, because okay. uh, your fingers are actually controlled by muscles in your arm. Right. Yeah. 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 And and they, it, it's it's very magical. Uh, you know, similar kind of thing. They they literally have um, robots you can control or games you can play by sticking your hands in your pants and 
you know, mm. it looks like you're using mind control, but you're tensing your fingers as if you're mm. pressing buttons or spreading your fingers. And it yeah. uh, can make these robots walk around and, and follow your every wish that way. No, it's, um, it's so cool. yeah, it's, it's very science fictional and it's, it's exciting to, you know, it's, it's why I'm so uh, bullish on the future of the games industry, because we're just scratching the surface with a lot of new technology that way. Yeah, and you know we're involved with the Magic Leap too, right? So we've been working mm-hmm. with their new SDK, and it's not a consumer-facing and you know product, but there's a lot of cool stuff going on, you know, really cool stuff in that space, and being in AR and being able to see your environment, but then also having the glasses to overlay things, and yeah, there's just you know so much cool stuff out there right now. It's uh, it's wild to think what you know ten or even five years from now will be more mainstream and what's going on. Absolutely. Well, cool. Is there anything else I should have asked you about but didn't? Well, you've done a pretty good job of of covering the bases, and I appreciate, you know, I, I give a Thank lot you. of interviews, and, um, you know, sometimes in particular, the, the LucasArts adventure games I worked on, you know, a lot of people want to get deep into those details, and I'm, mm-hmm. I'm frankly glad to not, you know, <laughs> get, get too into that, because uh, I've, I've talked about it many times. Yeah. Um, but you know, I think. I, well, let me just say one of the things I haven't mentioned much, but it's on my mind. Um, okay. When you're talking about a career in the games industry, is that I really love to travel, and hmm. uh, for the first ten, fifteen years I was in the games industry, that wasn't much of a, a factor for me. Right. But when I went freelance, uh, it was something that I was very interested in, and um, I, I talked to some friends who I knew had been giving talks in different parts of the world, and mm-hmm. asked them, you know, how do they do that? And, you know, once you've actually worked in the games industry and, you know, developed some expertise, Mm -hmm. sometimes all you need to do is apply and tell people, you know, hey, I worked on this cool game and I've learned how to do this thing. Would you like me to speak about it at your conference? All right. And they fly you out to Germany or Singapore Uh, or Abu Dhabi, uh, right? You're just out there. We were talking about Uh, Abu Dhabi was the most recent one I've been to. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, just for people that love travel, it's certainly not something that everybody can do, you know, easily. But if you Mm -hmm. also like public speaking, uh, and I know that that's that's frankly a little more rare because a lot of people are scared of that. Right. But I just find it tremendously satisfying to be able to. You know, I, I've been in, uh, oh, I think it's around 40 different countries at this point, and wow. uh, 35 of them or so have been because of my work travel. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's it's uh, another enticement, I think. And certainly, yeah. since I started, the games industry has become truly global. It's it's hard to find a country in the world that doesn't have a mm-hmm. game development studio at this point. Yeah, and I had um, Kate Edwards on a show a while back, and she's uh-huh. yeah, she's always she's one of the few that's done more than I have. Yeah, it's always Kate like, Edwards yeah. and, and Rami Ismail are the the probably two most traveled uh, game developers I think in the world. Yeah, now that things are getting a little more back to normal, um, no, that's cool, right? Because it's like you don't have to think it's always just like sitting in the office or sitting on my Zoom. Like you know, in the future there can be opportunities and. You break out and freelance, or even just do it while you're working for a company. Oh, yeah. Well, when I was at Google, uh, for a while, I was in their developer relations group, and that was great because Mm -hmm. the Google travel experience is is marvelous. They're they're better than any other company I've worked with in terms of supporting their uh, employees that way. Yeah, that's cool. Um, so where can people find you online? Like website, Twitter? Like well, I'm pretty or... easy. I'm, you know, un- until one of my close relatives names their kid Noah, I'm, I'm the only Noah Falstein in the world <laughs> as far as I know. That's good. Um, I'll send you my, my other contact info uh, later, but cool. um, just Googling Noah Falstein and I'm the only thing that comes up and I'm, mm-hmm. I'm very easy to find online. So yeah, um, I don't think anybody will have any trouble with that. So just last question, is, is there, what's one piece of advice you give others working in the industry right now? I would say the most important thing, maybe, um, just so that everybody's happy, is to not be a jerk. Um, it's, <laughs> no, that's, that's a great uh, answer. <laughs> this is a, you know, the games industry, I, you know, compared to the movie industry that I've seen pretty much from the inside, too, mm-hmm. the games industry is much nicer and people help each other and are more mm. open and honest with each other. Mm-hmm. And it's true compared to a lot of different uh, industries that I've, I've touched on. 
Yeah. But it's only that way because we keep it that way. And sadly, there are more and more pressures, you know, certainly from some of the players uh, mm-hmm. to not have it be as, as pleasant. So, yeah. you know, just for all of our sakes, you know, be right. nice, help other people, you know, just be a good person and it will come around and, and help you back. Uh, mm-hmm. I can absolutely guarantee and attest to that. Yeah, no, that you know, and that is great advice because it's, uh, you know, it's karma and and your reputation follows you, right? Like this is a small industry. Oh yeah, and, and <laughs> you know, if you get a reputation for being a jerk or an a hole or something like that, people are like, no, you don't want to work with that person. Yeah, right? I mean, you know? even it, it's not a small industry anymore, but it mm-hmm. is intensely interconnected. And yes, if you yeah. are mean to people, particularly if you're in a position of responsibility where mm-hmm. you really can be mean to lots of people, yeah, yeah, people will know that and they will avoid you or they will you know warn other people about you and yep. and aside from that it's just not a very fun life to have of having to terrify people to get them to do what you right. want don't do it yeah thousand percent agree I, i've been some places where i'm just like this person's miserable like like if i never see him again it'll be too soon right and it's just like <laughs> why why are they like that and yeah just don't be like that right just be a good human it's it seems yeah. it seems common sense but yeah um and that's that's a good point too the game industry does people want to help each other and you know people go to gdc and they talk to each other and you know the movie industry seems a lot more uh cutthroat and backstabby and all those kind of things so well and then the movie industry also on the surface it seems like everybody's you know love and kisses but yeah then right. soon as somebody's back is turned right uh the, the tv show in. uh barry i mean there are a lot of tv shows that satirize the movie industry but i mm-hmm. was just watching that recently and um that does just a great job of oh. of showing how awful people can be in the movie <laughs> industry i've not um, watched that that's on my list I, I need to check that out now with your endorsement so yeah Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, it's not for everybody's taste. Uh, there, there's a lot of violence in it as well, because, mm-hmm. it, well, I, I won't give anything away. But uh, okay. the movie industry, almost everything you've seen in movies of craziness going on in filmmaking mm-hmm. is actually toned down from the reality, because <laughs> if they show it the way it really is, nobody would believe it. Yeah. And it, it took actually, you know, being literally in Hollywood at, at DreamWorks to to see that firsthand for me. Yeah, I've had brushes, but very short short and very brief in the TV industry, I should say. And uh, yeah, I'm dealing with agents who are total weasels and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Agents. Yeah. That, oh, that's another one that can't be exaggerated. Right. Like, uh, you you, you blew it, this uh, whole thing off and now you're blaming us. Like uh, we were yeah, emailing yeah. you, we were contacting you and now you spit. Yeah. I, I, well, I, will, the, I won't um, mention somebody's name, but yeah. yeah. Sure. The, the, the show old show entourage did a pretty good job <laughs> with uh, Jeremy Piven's character. He was definitely um, based on a lot of real life agents there. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. There's, yeah, there's something there. Um, well, cool. Thank you so much, Noah, for doing this. I, I know your schedule's busy, and it's been a while in the making, and I've always, in the back of my mind, been like, yeah, I gotta gotta talk to Noah, you know, just from your history and your experience and all the cool stuff you're doing in gaming and health, and, and thank you for your stuff that you're doing with us uh, and have done with us at Level X, so thank you. Of course. My pleasure. Well, great talking to you about all this. Cool. All right. Have a great night. You too. Thanks for listening to this episode of Game Dev Advice, the Game Developers Podcast. Go to the website at gamedevadvice.com and you can find the show notes along with show notes for all the other episodes. Please also check out the new Patreon page at patreon.com backslash gamedevadvice. Have a lot of options up there for how you can support the show. Again, that's patreon.com backslash gamedevadvice. Thanks again for listening and being part of the show. Take care. Bye-bye.